Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A club full of crime A club full of song Where wrong and still things that are wrong Oh God, for shame I do not know this podcast name Its name is At this point, it may have dawned on you that I'm using the titles of the Jason Bourne trilogy to distinguish Barrett Brown's episodes. This is a pretty average joke that doesn't quite work because Barrett isn't a former CIA agent suffering from disassociative amnesia. He's a journalist and activist, but he does have a few bones to pick with the federales and authority in general. He's one of our own. When we left him last, he was about to go into why he wasn't allowed to share a prison yard with various Mexican cartels. If you haven't heard the Brown Identity, his first episode, then it probably makes sense to do that first. But if you are an agent of chaos, then just do you, my independent friend. Coffee, tea or bovril, baby, kettle's boiled. Years prior, the Tango Blasts had been a vassal gang, essentially, to uh, either the Texas Syndicate or Mexican Mafia, I can't remember now, which is to say that these more established gangs that also exist outside the prisons, they're actual criminal syndicates uh, that work with the cartels, uh, forced these younger you know, Hispanics from Houston, Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, wherever, to give them tribute and to uh, you know, otherwise like serve in their whatever wars they got onto and so forth. And then... At some point in the last, it must have been 15 years ago, the Tongos rose up against the Texas Syndicate of Mexican Mafia, whichever one it was, and I guess beat them in a widespread, like, multi-institutional gang war and forced them to to check in, which is to say they had to all go either stay out and get beat or killed or go check into a, uh, to segregation, popularly known as... Solitary confinement. Okay, like, right, it rarely yeah. is because that's usually two people in a cell. They don't have room to have everyone in their own cells and something in the deal. So for that reason, I only met Texas Syndicate Mexican Mafia members when I was in in the shoe was with them. But I was when I was you know in a big block. We were we were locked down twenty four seven, which I spent about six months total in my four years in that state. And the communication is that just talking through yeah, yeah, doors? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's door drills and so forth. It, it varies from place to place. Some places you you, have, you yell onto the door. Uh, some places they're just these iron work, iron lace grills and so forth. And so yeah, you can. Yeah, or just talk, or whatever, or you can pass kites, which are little pieces, little notes. And most interesting thing is to pass like items or letters 
um, in a more a more exact fashion, uh, you throw you do what's called fishing or throwing a line, which is making you know a long string out of whatever uh, with a, perhaps a battery, uh, you know, tied around a battery perhaps to give it weight. And you slide it under the door. At, you know, some places we can you didn't have a way to do that, so there was no lines there. And we slide it under a door, throw it to a cell across, and then they either send it diagonally back to your side to wherever it's going, and blah blah. And that's how you can pass along, you know, uh, tobacco, weed, books, you know, notes. What kind of conversations are you having in the examples where you can actually speak via a grill with these chaps? Uh, so let's see, when I was, the first time I spent time in the shoe, I spent two months the first time. So actually, no, the first time I was in the shoe, it was five days in solitary, but it was not for disciplinary reasons, it was because they didn't, didn't have any spaces in the unit uh, I've been brought to yet, so I had to wait solitary five days. But the, the first time I did an extended time there, which was two months, it was after that semi-disturbance that we had uh, when I was identified as one of the leaders of it. Oh yeah, that's uh, what we were going to get onto, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, the uprise. Well, it's called yeah, that. Yeah. So you're calling it a semi-disturbance. So yeah, well, that, that, was their, that was their term in the paperwork. And, and, and the other thing is all my BOP paperwork is all online now that intercepts did a, uh, a FOI, a Freedom of Information Act request. So it's all compiled there, except for the third or the one third of it or so that they've redacted for various bullshit reasons, which I'm sure the embarrassing parts for them. But anyway, so you can see all my disciplinary things and my responses and so forth, and it's pretty amusing stuff. I also wrote about a lot of it in my column. Um, but anyway, so those conversations will involve, for instance, let's see, my cellmate D, who was a white, red-headed guy from, like, outside Dallas with, like, a gangster-slash-country accent, and also a devout Muslim, because he had been in the Texas system for 10 years and, and became Muslim and, and knew classical Arabic, which I actually used to study myself and had a big tattoo with like all this in Arabic stuff written out and Smith and Wesson, fucking Jack Daniels, which is a great thing to have on a Muslim fucking tattoo. Oh, he didn't drink, he only did PCP. He was a devout Muslim. Anyway, um, anyway, he would have God's combinations with his friend Dank down the hall, who I knew as well, but everyone was close, about just nonsense, like, you know, uh, why they're about to like engage in some kind of insurrection activity against the guards which punk-ass guard did this punk-ass thing, or like just stuff like Dank recounting a, a enjoyable evening he once had with his, one of his cousins and her friends who were, we were led to, led to understand, quite promiscuous. And I mean, just, just anything. I mean, just, you know, like what's going on. You know, just any conversation you would have in prison anyway, or outside of prison, except just yelled a little bit. So, and unfortunately some people would engage in freestyle rapping, including my cellmate, D. I don't consider myself to be subjected to torture. I know solitary and all that is considered torture by the UN and all that. I actually enjoyed solitary and segregation. It's one of my most productive periods of my life. Having said that, it is absolutely torture to have your cellmate do freestyle rapping when he's not good at it. It's like those cringe videos, except you're, you're living it and you're right there. But then practice makes perfect. Did he ever manage to have the skills there? It does not. It can. <laughs> it does not. It does not follow necessarily. That <laughs> it is just simply that's a prerequisite for it becoming perhaps better or perfect in an ideal world that we don't live in. Oh, fucking hell, mate. So the whites had a meeting real quick, and the Pisces had a meeting, and uh, the blacks would have perhaps participated too, but they had no leadership at that point. Or rather, they had a, supposedly a speaker, but they didn't trust him. They thought he was a snitch, and he probably was. And so, how did they elect him in the first place? Well, so I'm not sure. He had been there a while, and actually, I was never clear on that myself. And it may have been a, a election, sort of like the election you would have at the House of Lords, which is just saying none. You know, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't remember exactly. Because the whites had to have meetings like they, they, once a month. Like I wrote about my first white meeting. I was about to like, hey Brown, white meeting's coming up. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check this out. I'm gonna see the white meeting. See what we talk about the white meeting. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so so we we decided to uh, demand that a uh, a rank ranking officer come 
uh, in response and that uh, we were going to demand that this particular guard not be allowed to work on our, our block anymore. Because he had spoken and threatened this he, guy. He, yeah, because yeah. I mean, he was a piece of shit anyway. He was a, I, I, I couldn't stand the guy. Like, uh, he, the he, guard or the guy who was... This particular guard, this yeah. guard. Yeah, he was, a piece, he, was, like, he was a particularly piece of shit, um, even compared to other guards. And uh, anyway, so yeah, so what we were going to you know, do what is often done, which is to, to bounce him off the block in a metaphorical way. So we refused to lock, to rack up. Oh, actually, no, so our plan was we were not to rack up, but what happened was he found out about it while we were planning it, and then he started calling a rack, rack down, which is everybody go in your cell and, and close the door, and so we had to do it right there. And so this, there was a standoff that went on for about 30 minutes or so, and they brought in a bunch of guards, and the, the shitty guy, Hamilton was his name, this fucking, the, the guard we were targeting. He came out, started shaking his pepper spray around, and blah, blah, and they just kept telling us, you know, go back in your cells, and we just stood there and didn't do anything. And finally, they bring in this fucking matronly female officer who looks like somebody's mom. I call her officer probably somebody's mom, and she comes in, and she like puts her hands on her hips. She goes, I think you guys better turn around and put your hands against the wall. And we're all like, okay, and we fucking did it. Like, they locked us up, and they videotaped the whole thing and had us all come to the video camera and, and, and uh, say our name and our prison numbers and so forth. And then they brought me and about six other guys that they had deemed as, as leaders of this little insurgency took us to the shoe and the rest just got locked down for the day. So we spent two months in the shoe while waiting pseudo trial, you know, for our pseudo demonstration mm. and then uh, got out. Do you feel like you have won? Do you try Crown Club and see how well it fits? Back in, must have been October 2011, after a bunch of other stuff had gone down, Tunisian Revolution, H.B. Gary's investigations into contracting and surveillance and stuff, a group of Anons in Mexico, mostly in Veracruz, I believe, uh, let it be known that one of their, I don't know if it was actually Anon himself or a friend of somebody who had been kidnapped by the Zetas. Now, we were not given much details beyond that. And this was, was part of Operation Paperstorm. They were giving out leaflets to identify. That may, yeah. And that was about uh, an official, a government official, who was who everyone kind of knew was in the pocket of the gang, the Zetas. That eventually, something like that went on. Like that was actually one of the responses that we concoded later on. I think they may have been doing that prior as well. Like like you said, uh, I actually am, I was kind of unclear on this stuff because remember there's a lot of things going on. And at first, I did not identify this as being, you know, a particular interest until later on and I just really haven't gone around to going back and that, that does sound right to me and so the Zetas have kidnapped someone who was yeah so it was supposedly so it seemed to me like it was a fairly standard Zeta kidnapping for money you know for ransom for like a thousand dollar ransom that was my impression I got and, and so I'm hearing about this through back channels they're putting out some stuff publicly and I was put in touch with some of them uh, directly and uh, and so it became it was a controversial operation for, for some people because you know, people, you know, random Americans who have no fucking idea, don't want to think about Mexico. You know, I, I, my family comes from the border. I've lived in Mexico for a while. Um, I even, I even I don't know much about it, though. But people who know nothing about it, you know, were weighing, saying, oh, no, we shouldn't do this. It's dangerous because the Zetas will do this, this, and this. Whereas all the Mexican, the Mexican population, it was, this became a huge story very quickly, seemed to be vastly in favor of it. Uh, the Mexican Anons were doing it anyway. And it's not our job as American Anons to tell Mexican Anons they can't do it. And that was the big sticking point for me. So I made some public, you know, statements to the effect that you know, these guys have every right to do this. Like I understand that the stakes are high, but the stakes were high in the Tunisian Revolution too, you know, where there was an actual fucking revolution. 
uh, led by Tunisian Anans that we also assisted. And so there's precedent for this. And also, you know, you know, a lot of people objecting did not know this, but in Egypt, you know, a number of the names of government cooperators had been released. Um, we had helped release them. And so probably a lot of them got killed, which is for the best. And like, so it's just, my arguments were basically like, we've, we've done, this has been done before. Uh, we had the right to do this. They have the right to do this. You know, we're not going to be telling the Mexican Anans what to do. And I'm going to help them if they ask me for help, which they had. So I got, as, as oftentimes happens, you know, just like last weekend, for instance, this whole thing that was other people had, had conceived and executed and taken the risks over, I got the credit for it uh, because that's how things work, you know, with me for some reason. Like, you're just, you know, I, I'm more accessible to the U.S. press than these Mexican people. So, you know, the U.S. press individual reporter has a more of a reason to amp up my involvement because I'm the subject of a story. That's just a natural aspect, unfortunately, of feature writing. Fucking hell, mate. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All these articles started coming out saying... You know, is Barrett Brown going to be beheaded in Dallas, like by the Zetas, like blah, blah. And so things are getting kind of out of hand. And you were in Dallas at this point. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, I wasn't an unknown location at the FBI at this point that I even find yet because I wasn't living under my own name. Uh, they later told me it took them a while to figure out, you know, where I lived. Uh, obviously, they did eventually. The bottom line was that I started to get concerned that maybe everybody was right and maybe that I was just, I was taking this too lightly and that maybe I wasn't in danger. So someone uh, bought me a plane ticket to go up to New York, which I needed to go to anyway. And so I spent a couple weeks there just while well, things died down. I didn't really think the Zetas were going to come kill me. I don't think, I think the Zetas were probably more confused than anything. If they were to have done that, if they were after you, would it have been because you were considered the spokesman saying that they needed to release some uh, people who were kidnapped in order for you to, otherwise you'd expose, otherwise right, right, so, yeah, so, yeah. would expose yeah, exactly. them further? Yeah, so what had happened was the, these Mexican nuns, they had put forward this thing like if they, if they, got, if they didn't expose the guy, they didn't release the guy then they would release all these documents they had, supposedly from a hack of a Mexico City government computer at some point. I was never clear on this either. Uh, listing the names of 75 was the figure I, I 
remember being thrown around. Uh, so like police officers, taxi cab drivers, and so forth, who were known as affiliates, and they would release those. So then after that, like a day or two after that, the Sedata supposedly released this person. Uh, and the person was a marijuana dealer, turns out. Like So the, the kidnapping was not you know, political. Like it was just, it was like they, they kidnapped him for ransom because he was, I don't know if it's because he was selling marijuana or because he had money or whatever the fuck, I don't really, you know. And so, yeah, that would be the reason why, because their threats, I was amplifying. And so if you look at the press from back then, you'll see a lot of people saying that it's me conceiving of all this. Like I decided, like I'm going to release these Cinequip things, which I didn't have them. I never had those, those names. So yeah, so it's one of those things where I was identified with it and thus got the credit in the eyes of whoever and also the blame in the eyes of whoever and then potentially the risk from not just the Zetos, but someone who, like a Mexican gang that might, for instance, think they could score points with the Zetos by killing me on their behalf. You know, that, that, was, that was the real concern I started to have. Well, exactly. There's probably plenty of people out there that are looking to be seen to be doing the Zetos a favour. And that could be, exactly, exactly, that could be exactly. an example. Just to pause briefly, because, I mean, looking back now, you're someone who is obviously on a particular FBI list. I mean, they fucking made your house, let's not forget that. And you're also someone who affiliates of all the Zetas themselves who obviously are one of the biggest cartels in Mexico they might be after as well how peaceful is your day-to-day experience in terms of stress I mean obviously you're in London right now but generally speaking do you manage to not live in fear basically is my question so the thing is like my dad was a big game hunter he was kind of a criminal he made a huge amount of money in real estate in the 80s in Dallas which you know was so corrupt they made a television show about it like you know and, and himself got indicted and uh, judged throughout the charges but spent all of his money when he had it until he got bankrupt uh, going to Africa and shooting things and being attacked by things like almost got killed by a lion once obviously and this I was just, just, just quickly he was involved in property stuff real estate uh, real, real estate, estate and, and fraud, dodging yeah. real estate and fraud and stuff yeah, and, then, and then, he, then he sacked it all off to go and shoot big animals including while he was under indictment yes has he gone back since? Yeah, once or twice. Uh, once for a business thing, and he took me on at 17, but that was uh, that was funded by somebody else that failed. We went to Tanzania. And then one more time, um, or maybe two more times, once to take me when he he had some money again and spent it all taking me to fucking South Africa so I could shoot things. It was a big thing for him. Okay. So my dad has an obsessive personality and is also has perhaps an adrenaline thing going. Mm. Um, and he's not risk adverse. My grandfather, you know, grandfathers were, were both bombers of World War Two. you know, but just where I come from, I guess culturally, and then perhaps genetically as well, like I, I like to get in trouble, like and be in in peril. I do feel fear for things, like, uh, but perhaps not the same subject matter as others, like spiders. I'm afraid of. The bottom line is that no, I did, like I'm not worried about the Zetas getting me in England. Uh, it would be unlikely. Any reason to? I think they had, I think they had, even then I think they had plenty of reason not to. I feel like them assassinating a journalist and activist in downtown Dallas, uptown Dallas, would have perhaps forced a more rigorous response from the U.S. against Zetas. And so, anyway, but uh, no, I, I just, there are times when, yeah, when I get really anxious, uh, really fearful, like when I think I'm, I see like a cop outside my place where I think they're about to do a raid or something like that. There's been a number of times when there have been cops outside my house in Dallas uh, when I got out uh, after some things had gone down with the Dallas police and so forth and, and this some, some investigations I was doing into a murder that they did of a black man uh, in his own apartment. Botham Jean case in Dallas, 2018. A white police officer named Amber Geiger came home to her new apartment uh, one night. Um, she was in the middle of sexting with her fucking partner, police partner, you know, and not paying attention. And she walks into the wrong apartment on the wrong floor. Um, door was unlocked apparently. Um, sees a black man sitting there eating a bowl of ice cream, pulls out her guns and shoots him, and kills him. Because uh, she thinks he's in her house? Yes. Fucking hell. And so. So is this person just banging a policeman or is she a policewoman herself? 
No, she was a police woman. Oh, okay, so right. yeah, yeah. And she she was also having an affair with her partner. Okay, right. who was married. Um, and one of the reasons she was distracted. Anyway, so that happened, and the police union down there and particularly corrupt, and they immediately started working to to cover it up and put out these varying these conflicting stories. The uh, demand or the requirements of my probation were for me to have a twenty uh, a, a job 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 type job. My book deal did not count. My column didn't count. They could insist on what kind of fucking income you make after you. Oh, very much so. I mean, that, oh, that's the least of it. They also prevented me from getting income from my book for a year because they were, I had to pay restitution to the strapper company that the FBI oh, yeah, that, had. Oh yeah, just quickly. That was fucking nine hundred grand, wasn't it? Nine hundred grand, yep. And so that was that. So they can take that. They can take that from. They can go to employers. They can send. And they did. They sent subpoenas to my publisher. Subpoenas to the Intercept, which I'd still been writing for, uh, demanding all communications between us, all financial information, supposedly in order to better collect this money. And then they said, "Well, we have to wait. We'll figure this out." But took them a year to figure it out. And in that time, the publisher could not pay me my advances. My only. Yeah. So I mean, that comes onto a whole separate file, which I was going to go into is all of the fucked up shit that the fucking. State it was, and, it, and yeah. his arms have done to you, but I mean, if, if yeah. you want to go into that now, we can, or we can dip back into. Uh, we can, we can, we can dip back into it's a larger theme. Um, but anyway, so the Amber Jagger shot and killed Botham Jean. Uh, the police very openly, with with in conjunction with the local press in Dallas, which is unusually terrible um, and usually uh, in league with the police, managed to, you know, ignore the fact that they put out several different contradictory versions of this within a few several days. Um, contradiction versions even in the search warrants and arrest warrants and all that anyway there was a whole conspiracy to get the texas rangers which is another excessively horrible and brutal police agency just quickly the reason they're putting out so many different uh, conflicting stories is that because they're their putting, first story so they're their putting first story out one and they're realizing sense. it doesn't work and yeah, yeah the it first again. story didn't make any sense okay. and they put it and they're very not very good at this they don't have to be very good at it they're dealing with the Dallas oh, press say, it doesn't exactly breed competence yep. when you can yep. get away with the fucking exactly murder, exactly yeah. exactly yeah, that's exactly it um but anyway so i wrote a sto- big story for the magazine pointing out uh, that the police union president had, had said some bizarre things that didn't seem to make any sense, uh, had also seemed to imply that she still had her phone on her, that her phone hadn't been taken up, and much of other things, and attacked the press down there. And uh, the, that police union head official, who had been the, one of the first on the scene, and who had helped to uh, help to cover it up, he sent a letter, my, letter to my editor, uh, email, you know, uh, claiming, oh no, the reason she had her phone is we never take up someone's phone unless they something voluntarily, blah, blah. Stuff that I know to be false because I've been arrested a number of times and I know exactly what they do and anyone else can look these things up. My editor down there, unfortunately, Tim Rogers at D Magazine, uh, responded by accepting this as fact, this, this police union chief official's version of events, and I had to explain to him, I still have these emails, I put about a couple times, like, no, that's, that's not how journalism works. Let's let's not just accept what the police union who was involved in the murder fucking cover-up tells us. Let's, let me just explain to you this. And so no changes were made based on based on his complaints. And then a month later, uh, a bomb threat was called. It was uh, sent in by Facebook to D Magazine saying they would blow up the building if they continued to publish my articles. If they continued publishing your articles? Yes. What kind of private citizen would be invested in you not publishing their articles? Surely that's obviously just a state actor then, isn't it? Or Well, it's, yeah, I mean, so... Presumably, yes. And there's some articles about this in the Freedom of the Press Foundation and their Press Freedom Watch and all that that they cataloged as well as uh, Counterpunch, a few other minor outlets uh, here and there covered it, as we were able to show uh, from various recordings of police as well as emails that police had sent my city councilman, Philip Kingston, who's an ally of mine. They had put forth various contradicting stories themselves on who the person was, if they had arrested him, if he was going to be charged, which he was not, blah, blah. And we figured this out. And so there's several recordings of them lying to my editor, recording of them, which when I was able to get them on the phone months later, lying to me about it, getting caught lying. Uh, then, then there's emails of them lying to Philip Kingston, uh, more recordings of me calling assistant police chief, you know, confronting him with this and him kind of making it very obvious that he was not interested in, in defending the story. And, and so it's just a thing where, you know, 
at the same time, this, the stuff that I put out in that story turned out to be very relevant to the case, and, and uh, the local DA used the same information about the cell phone that I had uh, written about, as well as some stuff we did some, with some crowdsourced research where we went through Amber Geiger's uh, Pinterest page and found all these anti-black uh, cop supremacist memes that she had been posting. We found those a few days after the killing, put those out, and then those were used as well. So, I mean, as a result of that, you know, the, the police in Dallas... Um, Having really not, you know, pre- I never really got in a conflict with them directly, other than being arrested as a kid, you know, over and over again. But like this, they 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 came after me pretty hard, uh, and they, this person who sent the bomb threat under his own name, like also was a- was able to send additional threats over and over again for the next year to my girlfriend at the time, uh, and to me, and then threatened to kill my mother and kill my girlfriend and rape my girlfriend and so forth. And uh, the police claimed they couldn't do anything about it. Surely it's just a fucking copper that's doing that. Is it not just blatantly, or not just a, uh, someone on the inside? I think in this case it was this person. Uh, it could have been something where it was initially unrelated to the police, where he did it on his own. It's possible, and that they just took it over uh, at some point. But they did definitely get caught lying about it. They did definitely refuse to arrest him. And the guy was a multiple felon who was on probation at the time and had posted a picture of himself with a handgun. Which is, if you have a felony in the U.S., you can go to prison for five years for having a picture of yourself with a handgun or for shooting yourself accidentally in the leg, which one of the guys I was in with had. But anyway, so. Then he, oh, then he threatened to kill Beto O'Rourke when he was running for president uh, in a message to me. In which I, So I called the cops several times I'd never done before and had them come over. I recorded them secretly and said, look, here's what's happened. Here's this guy threatening this person, blah, blah. I'm, I'm letting, just letting you know this so that you guys can do whatever you want, which is going to be nothing, I'm sure. But now here's the evidence that I've, you know about it. And so, unfortunately, it's kind of useless because, you know, we already had everything we needed at that point. You know, we already had enough documentation that they had allowed this to happen. Crime Club Unfortunately, I was required to live in Dallas for the probation period for those two years after getting in prison. Yeah, because of, in terms of probation. So, although I could travel to give talks, I could not move. So, finally, my probation ended. I left Dallas and uh, lived elsewhere in Texas for a while and then ended up moving to Antigua late last year uh, with the intention of staying there at the, at the invitation of a donor of mine. It's one of my nonprofits uh, who set me up there. And then I found that Antigua is not a great place for someone like me either. Why not? Well, I had the supervisor of police. In fact, I can hear you recording of this, actually, since I videotaped him in my living room. Within two days of being in Antigua, I had police supervisor in my living room shaking down my fucking uh, my little uh, donor over the phone. Um, so that was pretty blatant. I, I would not have been able to, at last, like, concentrate on the things I needed to do because mm-hmm. there was so much corruption there, and I have a sort of a temperamental sort of requirement to react to those kind of things. And mm-hmm. so ongoing cycle of retaliation, kind of retaliation. Here's the Antigua thing. This is my prosecutor, by the way. I can do that. We'll do that later. That's she did porno video that we discovered. Right way. Oh yeah. Um, where is your prosecutor did a porno vid? She calls herself the Queen of Spades. She has sex with black guys, who she calls Spades. She has a spade tattoo on her back. One of her victims. Oh, here it is. There's a spin of Queen of Spades. Uh, that's a screenshot of the porn. That's her right there. Kendian Heath. Fucking hell. Yeah. This was brought to us by somebody who would, she, she and her husband had recorded without their permission, um, and also sexually assaulted. You asked earlier about like with the pressure and all that and what the what was going through the minds of prosecutors and so this is one of the complicating factors there. Do they know you've got that? Oh yeah, she knows. Fuck, okay. But as soon as I got to Antigua, I put it out and then my Facebook page was Fuck. removed the next day. <laughs> or no, removed actually a few hours later actually and then she sent an email, angry email to the outlet in Dallas that had put it out, put out an article about it and uh, threatened to sue them, didn't deny it because there's nothing to deny and uh, the victim on his Twitter account also disappeared. And I think it's gonna be Fucked up club, wrong and tell us so much stuff. It's not the kind of club they have at home. Oh no, no, no. It's a crime club. 
I suppose it goes without saying, but if you're going to prosecute Barrett Brown, it's probably inadvisable to have your own side hustle in the racist porn game because he is well good at computers and will find it. In the next Barrett Brown episode, The Brown Ultimatum, we'll be talking about the future of journalism and how he was accused of being an agent provocateur by prominent UK commentators after a photograph of him next to a banner suggesting capital murder at the Kill the Bill protests in London was circulated online by his enemigos. Next week we're back with the West Country Boys and pirates shifting the biggest volumes of Class A's crime clubs ever heard of. Hit the link in the description for more shite and ta-ta for now. Jumpers and bags Buy a tank top Ooh, ooh, baby Fucking tank top Get it all now Get your tank top at www.podcastmerch.co.uk Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.